0: Welcome to Build and Learn, my name is Colin. And I'm CJ, and today we're joined by Keith Casey. Keith is a product expert at NGROC and has also worked at Okta and Twilio. He's all about getting great tech into the hands of awesome people. And he lives in Austin and is a big participant in the Austin tech community. He also shares thoughts on his blog at kcsoftware.com. He's also co-authored a book about API design, And so we're super excited to have Keith here. And we're gonna talk about webhooks today and webhooks.fyi. If you haven't seen it, head over and take a look at this knowledge base that ngrok has put together. Before we get too deep into it, just wanted to welcome you, Keith. And in case I said
1: anything wrong there, please
0: feel free to correct the record.
1: no, that was great. That that Keith Casey sounds really impressive. I'm not sure how it got <laughs> to be about this. me, but no thanks for having me here, guys. I'm looking forward to this chat.
2: Yeah, as we've been getting into like looking at who we want to have on the show, it seems like the theme so far has been finding people from our past and putting them in front of a microphone. And Keith is no exception there. It sounds like Inroads from everything from co-working to tech stars to startups that we've used. I think you were Devrel at Twilio when we like met in person for the first time. So yeah, getting into some
1: hackathons and things. Well, and I think that's really cool because the people I was meeting 12 years ago with Twilio—that's when I was there, way back in the ancient days—the people that were there that were passionate, even that they're, even if they're the most junior, first day on the job developers, after that. Applying that passion for 6, 8, 10, 12 years in this case, they've moved on to some pretty cool, impressive roles. I look around and I'm like, I remember when this guy was writing his first lines of code and now he's CTO over here. Mm-hmm. I remember when this person just moved to town and now they're a significant, like, impactful community leader. And it's awesome to see like friends and allies grow up like that and move into their own and see how that passion has affected the world around them.
0: Totally. Like. Just in those 12 years, someone going from writing the first line of code to being a CTO, as a microcosm, tech in itself lets you see a, a full career progression over the course of 12 years versus other industries where it might take you 40 years or something to kind of climb the corporate ladder. Yeah, oh yeah. To
1: see. When I was first in the field for Twilio way back in the day, we had to tell people what an API was. We had to teach people like building on APIs was okay. US had been around for a couple of years, but not many people were using it at scale. When we think about how fast people's careers have progressed, we have to think that's because part of that is the technology under us has moved so quickly and in such radically different directions. If you told us 20 years ago, no, most people won't have their own servers. They'll be living entirely in this thing called the cloud. And the cloud is really just other people's servers but there'll be APIs connecting in all these third parties, like really defining and making your app work. There's people that would have said, wow, that's cool. There's other people that would have been terrified. The correct answer is somewhere in between those. Mm-hmm. But that's how I see why our careers have progressed the way they have, is that everything under us has moved so quickly in interesting ways. It's really mm-hmm. powerful to see.
0: Yeah, I think that's also a fun lens to look at all of these AI changes through. That, okay, this is an inflection point And if you are feeling stuck in your ways and you're not open to considering new ways of doing things or being agile and flexible about what this next year is going to look like, things are going to get wild. I don't know. I think, Colin, you were showing me some stuff with the GitHub Copilot brushes or whatever the other day. And I started playing around with it and I was really jealous having spent spending most of my time in Vim. Man, these Copilot brushes in VS Code are just blowing my mind right now. So yeah, it'll be an interesting next decade to see all of the progress that happens within tech and our careers and those folks that are getting into AI for sure.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And that's a great segue to talk about what we're talking about today, which is webhooks. I was actually digging into kind of what made webhooks popular and you might be able to shed some light on this too. The idea that when you're at Twilio, you weren't just trying to get people to use Twilio's API. You were trying to teach them how why they even want to use an API in the first place or what an API even is. And just to set the stage, we found like the earliest mentions of webhooks was from Jeff Lindsay all the way back in 2006. And the idea that thinking of a world today where webhooks are available in almost every app, but there was a point at which there there were no webhooks um, and there were no APIs. Today we're going to be talking about webhooks and specifically this webhooks.fyi site that you guys have built at NGROC, what have you guys seen as far as like the rise of webhooks popularization of webhooks
1: yeah absolutely so i mean you call it jeff lindsay was one of the first people to put the word together of webhooks and at that point it was actually two words just a bit of trivia for you there but in 2006 and 7 he was out there talking about this and fundamentally he went back to the, some of the earliest principles in object-oriented design and the sort of the encapsulation model of object-oriented design because remember when you're building objects to rewind back to CS 101, and you've got this object, you really don't want to expose the internals of how that works. Because now you get tied into the specifics, the, uh, you get into all the idiosyncrasies, you now have to worry about that state of the object. There's a concept called message passing. And message passing is just the state of this thing has changed. Here's how it's changed. That's it. That's, that goes all the way back to small talk in the 60s and 70s. And it's an exceptionally powerful concept. Now, when you're talking about individual components within a system, that works out really well. When you then say, okay, we're gonna take those components instead of operating in the same memory space where we could just pass things over a bus or a port or something like that, let's put them thousands of miles apart in different architectures and different data centers with all kinds of things in between them. We now have to figure out how in the world do they do message passing. And it turns out Webhooks was the model to do that. And simply it's, it's JSON over HTTP or XML over HTTP. It, conceptually, when you realize, oh, wait a minute, it's this concept that's now close to 60 years old, just updated for the tech stack we're working on. It's cool to think about, like, we've never gotten away from those core principles. We've just applied them to the medium that we're working in. And he, Jeff Lindsay, was started talking about webhooks 2006 and seven. He joined a little company called Twilio, not too long after that. And basically, Jeff Lawson, the CEO of Twilio, went to Jeff Lindsay and said, I like what you're doing. We have some problems that I think that's a solution. Let's blend this. Let's pull this in. And so I attribute a lot of the early webhooks, one to Jeff and the other to Jeff. So Jeff Lindsay brought to Jeff Lawson and they made it work in Twilio. And then frankly, we were blessed at Twilio. We were one of the first people into that space to do it at scale. And we were admired for a lot of different things. And one of the things was the model behind those webhooks because fundamentally it's this thing, this text message, this phone call, this recording has changed state. And being able to pass that message across the wire regardless of your tech stack ended up being exceptionally powerful. Then when you take the macro trend of uh, US, of GCP, of all these things coming in the market, and you go, wait a minute, my tech stack is no longer a stack. It's a bunch of stacks sitting in a bunch of different places And oh, by the way, it has dependencies on apps that I'm building, has dependencies on apps that you're building, has dependencies on third parties. Webhooks is the only way to do that reasonably. There are other approaches, but when you say, Hey, look, I don't care about the tech stack, I don't care about your architecture. I don't care about anything else other than are you speaking JSON over HTTP, that makes life really easy.
0: Totally. And I think also like when you think about a normal web framework and you're building out these typical features, whether it's the classic, you're just taking the post body from a form and submitting that to some endpoint. Or if you're taking the post body of that form and using JavaScript with fetch or AJAX or whatever to submit that as JSON to a server endpoint, you can build your web application and your webhook handler using all of the same tools under the hood, which I think is also pretty killer because Yes, there are these other solutions that you might be using some message queuing system or some other sidecar thing that happens to reach into your database, but it becomes much much easier to reason about, in my opinion, your webhook handlers if they're following the same patterns that your the rest of your web application is following. And yeah, I, it's I don't know, it's interesting to see how the trend in industry has landed on or decided that JSON over HTTP is the end all be all. And I think it's a lot of it is because like we don't really have another pattern that has emerged for just typical web development that is significantly better and something that we might all want to migrate to. And so yeah, at Stripe we like looked very closely at our webhook solution and thought about, oh, what if we changed it to all of these other different potential things? Then would people still adopt it? Okay, ninety nine point nine percent of people building on the web or building mobile applications or whatever. Are going to still use webhooks because of the way that they're set up and the way that they
1: work. Yeah. Yeah, All of us know we have a favorite HTTP tool. All of us (laughs) know we have a favorite JSON tool. When that's the baseline you're starting from, it's hard to get people to move to anything else. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that it's hard right now because we can work with tools we're familiar with. We don't have to introduce new patterns, new technologies, or God forbid, a vendor specific protocol. That's, we're done with those, hopefully.
2: Speaking of tools, can you give us kind of the high level of what Ngrok is trying to solve as a company and as the kinds of tools that you guys are working on and what inspired the creation of webhooks.fyi? What were you guys seeing as far as these simple tools being used in really powerful ways?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Ngrok's founder and CEO is Alan Shreve. He was employee number six or seven at Twilio. If you send an SMS using Twilio, you probably use this code at some point, but While he was working with those webhooks way back in the day, he ran into this very simple thing of when he'd pull out his phone and send a text message, he'd want to route that to the app he was building locally. And there are a couple other alternatives at that point. And he said, you know what? I want to learn Go and I want to figure this out. So he wrote the first version of Ngrok basically to do that, to scratch his own itch. And then he started adding things like request capture and replay to be able to say, I've got this webhook. It came in successfully. Instead of having to pick up my phone again, let me just replay. That's awesome. That was really cool. And most people find Ingrok through some of those webhooks. Because if you look at any webhook guide out there, odds are step one of integrating with Stripe's webhooks is probably go install Ingrok, which is awesome. Fundamentally, what Ingrok is, it's a platform for providing secure connectivity into any environment. So today we're talking about webhooks and local development. It can also be IoT devices on a customer site. It can be a Kubernetes cluster sitting inside your data center. It could be deep in the bowels of that ancient data center and getting access to the database behind the scenes.
0: We're assuming that you, dear listener, know what a webhook is. And Oh, um, yeah. We'll just we gloss over I think it's fine if we gloss over it because we want people to go read webhooks.fyi, which is going to teach you all about webhooks and what they are and, and how they work. But I think it's worth at least explaining the fundamental issue with like why that request was not delivered to the local running application. And
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you get, when you're working with Stripe, Twilio, Slack, whatever, When the change in state happens, a payment being processed, a text message being received, a new Slack message coming across, that webhook, that payload has to go somewhere. So the webhook is just telling you the change in state has happened. Here's some information about it. And so when you're running in your local environment, there's DNS issues, there are SSL issues, there's all these things to get from your local environment. Getting from your local environment out is super easy. That's what our browsers do every day. Getting in... Is a horrifying complexity of DNS, of SSL, of NAT traversal, of all these different things. And so what Ingrock does is it opens up over 443 outbound to our cloud. And then the cloud handles a generates a URL that then that webhook can call into that then gets routed down into your machine.
0: Yeah. So it's if you are running your app locally, if you're building a web application locally and you're running it and it pops up on localhost 3000, like your friend. That's in a different city cannot go to localhost 3000 and see your program running because it doesn't have access to the internet. And I think it's also probably worth mentioning that it's hard to get into someone's computer on purpose. (laughs) Like the operating systems are protecting us. Yeah, it should be really hard for any outside service to get in. And this is intentionally difficult. And yeah, luckily, anytime we're working with third parties, we can depend on NGROC to poke a hole through that magical firewall that we've created and give access is there any like security considerations i guess this is like tangential but that people should be aware of when running ngrok because you are poking a hole in that yeah in that inbound
1: Yes, poking Way. a hole is a phrase that comes up pretty often. <laughs> at first glance, it's scary. It's mm-hmm. scary because you're like, wait a minute, I'm doing what? So what we did a few, about a year or so ago now, we launched, or we had them for a while, but we doubled down on a lot of them. We've got some capabilities you can put on top of that tunnel. So you can do IP restrictions. So if you've got IoT devices, you can say only our command and control server has access to it. You've got mutual TLS. So you can have shared certificates on each side and a handshake to secure that connection. But you can also put an identity provider in front. If you do dash dash OAuth equals Google, now you can force someone to log in through Google before they have access to your connection. And in fact, you can add restrictions on top of that. In fact, let's see, by the time this airs, we added some updates to our free plan to be able to add OAuth. So you've got very simple OAuth protections built into the free plan itself, along with webhook verification. So before you let any traffic into that connection, we ingrok in the cloud can verify that payload is from Stripe, from Twilio, from Slack, whatever. And then anything that it can't verify gets dumped, and it never <laughs> makes it to your server. So yes, it is poking a hole, but yes, we can layer on a variety of security on top.
2: Nice, we're poking a
1: safe hole.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's it. These are your taglines that so you can have these for free, Keith. Can <laughs> well,
1: thank you safe. thank you. I appreciate the, the spirit it was offered in. How's that? Yes,
2: absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think what's exciting to me, webhooks have always fascinated me because I, when I teach APIs, I like to think of it as like turning a light bulb on across the world. And like a webhook is a post request to a thing and cue lights and other things. You can have a webhook that when a payment goes through Stripe, make this light flash green or play your cache register sound in, in Slack, which is fun. And there's a lot of ways like Zapier today is one of the bigger low code integrate X to Y type of apps. And most of that today is run by webhooks. So you may, if you're new to webhooks, you may be using them already. You're just not catching and sending them yourself. Things like Lambda functions in the API gateway and AWS, like a lot of that is really powering webhooks, which is really great. And I think that there's two sides of this, right? If you're a company or an app and you want to provide webhooks to an end user, or if you're more commonly your ad developer who wants to consume webhooks like Stripe webhooks, Slack webhooks, things like that, what it did
1: some of that inspire
2: what webhooks.fyi is built for, or how did that come about for you guys? Yeah,
1: it completely inspired it. When we were working on the webhook verification within Ingrok, one of the first things I was tasked with when I joined up was find a list of all the webhooks out there, and let's figure out which ones we're going to support. That's a very reasonable request. So I googled webhook directory and webhook like best practices and everything, and it turns out there wasn't much out there. Everyone had their list of their favorites, but no one actually dug into how are these verifications actually handled? So I was sitting there making a Google doc of 50, end up with like hundred and some different webhooks of every API company you could think of was probably on that list. I think that list has grown to 150 or so at this point. And we were looking at how do you verify the payload? Which ones support SSL? Which ones don't? What are the payload options for each of those? And while we were building our own implementation of that verification, we realized like there was no directory there wasn't a place for capturing this information. And I'm sitting there with this big Google doc, I'm like, why don't we turn this into a site and just share it with people? And then we started digging into what are some of the best practices around this? So we first analyzed, we we took the top 100 or so and put them on the site. And we said, okay, how are the different webhook providers, what verification methods do they offer? Some are HMAC 256, some are this, some are that. We dug into which ones are over HTTP versus HTTPS. And we dug through probably 10 or 12 different aspects of all of them. And we released it. And we released, here's what we see in the wild, in the field right now. Here's what we all know are good things. Let's make a list of the ideal and call out and celebrate the people who are doing it well. And so on the site, webhooks.fy, there's a webhook directory. And there's a bunch of lists of webhook providers and some that have red Xs and some that have green check marks. And we're trying to encourage people to do things better. This is a fun
0: list. And also there's people that are not on this list that I'm like, oh, I wonder if that would encourage them to migrate from PubSub Hubbub to Webhooks or uh, something similar. But I think also it's worth talking and breaking down a little bit uh, some of those characteristics that you went through. So Mm -hmm. do they support TLS or how are they verifying signatures or payloads or just what are the differences there? And maybe, yeah. Do you have any that are like the gold standard that like, oh, hey, everyone should go implement their webhooks like this company.
1: Yeah. That was the fun thing is we had this list of hundred and some different webhook providers and we categorized all of them and we said, okay, which are the ones we should implement first? We narrowed the list down to about 50. Then we said, okay, now let's actually start building the verification code to verify these 50. So you guys want to take a guess of how many different verification processes there were for 50 webhooks. 50. 50.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm going to cheat here a little bit and guess
1: like 10 based on the... There were 49. 49? 49 different approaches. There was one, I forget who it was offhand, but there was one that duplicated somebody else and that was it. That was horrifying. That's what happens when you roll your own auth, right? Holy smokes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and this is just the authentication. This is just a verification. This isn't the additional capabilities. But when we look at some of those capabilities, we have things like uh, shared secrets. So this is a model that, let's see, I think Okta uses it, DocuSign. Oh, Twilio implements this too. In the dashboard itself, there'll be some sort of secret that's generated. And then that gets used into the signature creation. And then on the receiver side, you've got that secret and then you generate the same hash and you use that secret to make sure, yes, this was definitively came from Twilio. This definitively came from Okta. What we've seen a lot of in the wild is people not verifying payloads at all. In fact, I do a demo where I open a very simple Twilio app and I have people texting in and I go, hey, by the way, if you have Postman, mm-hmm. there's my URL endpoint on the board right now. Why don't you go ahead and do a post and see what happens? And people start posting data to my endpoint right there on the screen. And sometimes things go off the rails. It will keep it PG, PG rated here, but sometimes <laughs> it goes off the rails. And I point out to people, I say, look, this is a silly Twilio app in front of an audience. I said, mm-hmm. what if you're waiting for a Stripe webhook to confirm? Yes, call and paid for this shopping. If I know your endpoint and you haven't verified that payment did come or that payment notification came from Stripe, Somebody else could make a post and Mark Collins' order is paid. And how would you know that? How would you ever find that out? And that's scary. So anyway, we go through these different processes and we want to encourage people to verify whether that is a shared secret like a Twilio or Okta. There's some that use like asymmetric keys. I think SendGrid and PayPal use those. So you've got a, a key on each side and then it signs with the private key. And you can verify it with the public key and say, yes, definitively, this came from PayPal. Some of them are using like OAuth, which is a whole other challenge. <laughs> but it's, a, it's still, it comes down to, it's a way of being able to say, yes, this definitively came from the source. And some of the providers actually support multiple ones. I think SendGrid supports two or three different approaches. So you can kind of gauge your verification method to according to the skills and the abilities that you have.
0: That's cool. One thing, too, that has been interesting as we're like reviewing Stripe's webhook situation is if you're building a webhook provider that's sending these webhook notifications, one of the challenges is versioning your event payloads so that if you have, you're adding a new property, but you don't want to break or you're removing a property, even worse, you don't want to break any of those webhook consumers. And so you have to version it. So now like each webhook endpoint has a different version and the payloads have different versions and stuff. And so when looking at webhooks.fyi under webhook security, if you look at this like data list notifications option, that is really attractive to me because like then you don't actually have to include any like too much stuff that's gonna get versioned, right? Like you can build a payload that will be very consistent across decades worth of versions, ideally. But then the consumer, when you receive the notification, depending on your SDK, that is then pinned to some specific API version, can fetch the latest copy of that object that you're being notified about. You get the latest state, but you don't actually necessarily have
1: to get that in the payload of the webhook. Um, yeah. So a little bit of background, a data list notification. We said earlier, like the message passing of saying, here, the state of this thing has changed. Here's all the information about it. In a dataless one, instead of having all that information, all it has is a reference to the object that changed and the fact that it did change. And then you go back and you use that URI to then pull back and say, okay, the thing has changed. This shopping cart status has changed. Tell me. That's actually what I recommend, not just for versioning it mitigates some of that, but also if you have really sensitive information. So Mm -hmm. think of a healthcare use case where Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want to broadcast that information over the wire.
0: It's also, if I think about it a little bit, it's also really great if you have like a globally distributed network of like sharded databases where like some of your customers are in the U.S. and some are in Australia, if you're just sending this like super lightweight data list payload that says, here's the object ID that was updated, then like the API request from Australia will be routed to some AWS data center in Australia to fetch the object faster. Ah, That's a good call. Yeah, if it's located somewhere else, I don't know, I feel like there's...
1: that's a really good approach. I hadn't thought about that. I, I need to add that to the site.
0: It's uh, yeah. I think, yeah, if you're looking at those webhook security options, I think Dataless is pretty attractive, like going forward.
1: We also have a section on there for like operational experience, because while we started with a security mindset, we said, okay, as people are building and designing and working with webhooks, how do they operationalize them? You had mentioned like versioning of the payloads and things. There's also the, some capabilities around forward compatibility of when a webhook comes in, how do you support multiple keys? Because there's always that moment of like, was a shared secret of my secret has been compromised. I need to revoke the old one and generate a new one. Depending on the traffic and their webhook patterns and everything, you could actually miss requests. Mm -hmm. So the ability to revoke the old key and generate a new one, if you can have both of them running simultaneously, you don't necessarily miss any requests.
0: Yeah, and I've seen sometimes like where each, endpoint that you create in the third party. So if you imagine the way that this usually works is you log into the third party, whether that's Slack or Zoom or Box or whatever, and there's some input box in your developer application settings where you're gonna enter a URL. In many of these, the ones that will give you like a signing secret right. will generally give you a difference, or might give you a different signing secret per webhook endpoint that you put in. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if people wanna roll the key, They'll just put the same URL twice and then they'll get back like different keys and then like they'll have two running for a little while and then you can delete the old one. But yeah, I think it's operationally, it sounds like it's a bit of a nightmare because you have to, oh, let me run through the entire process of checking and verifying the header. And then let me like catch an exception and do the same exact thing again to re-verify with like potentially n keys
1: that you're handling. So We all know that complicated processes scale really well, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's like any anything that's complicated is going to break. And I see that PagerDuty is one of your webhook providers. And so that's something you're going to need when you build one of these complicated processes and someone tries to roll the key.
1: Yeah, PagerDuty is actually doing a number of things. They've got like the zero downtime rotation is what we call that one so that you're not going to miss webhooks in between and you're not going to break downstream systems. But I'm trying to think, I think HubSpot also implements some stuff around forward compatibility. So not just changing the key, but changing the signature method. Because frankly, we know that at some point, we're going to have to change our signing methods. We'll also say there's, I think, at least one or two companies that use MD5 for signatures don't. Yeah. Don't. We do name them on the site. I'm not going to name them here because that's impolite. But at some point we're gonna have to change our signature methods. So having that forward compatibility, that multiple URL pattern, like having those things ends up being super powerful. Yeah,
2: if you think that might be, you can go to webhooks.fyi to verify, but you can also submit your company. So if you do follow these, there's a way to submit and contribute, like to add to that list, right?
1: Oh, yeah, I should say, we set this up entirely as a community site. So there's very light, like, any ingrok marketing on it, I think it says in the header and the footer, and that's about it. But this is all a public GitHub repo. Uh, go to uh, github.com slash webhooks slash webhooks.fyi. See where we're, we're re- really tricky with the naming there. But we accept pull requests from er- anyone. So we have, there's a webhook company, I think it's Swix, that submitted themselves and a bunch of their customers. We want to make this the definitive place that people can come to learn about webhooks and still have it totally neutral. So Mm -hmm. we don't sell webhooks, we're not interested in that. We just want the internet to be a little more secure and Mm -hmm. we think this is one of the ways to do it.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great tool for if you're doing your first, you have a guide for webhook consumers as well as webhook providers. A lot of these are on the provider side, the security, things like that. But then on the consumer side, there's a whole bunch of kind of conventions that you have to learn. A lot of times, let's just say you're you don't have your endrock tunnel on right now. If you have that turned off and Stripe tries to send a message to you, they're gonna do things like retrying until there's a certain point when they just say I'm gonna give up and not keep sending it. What does that look like on your end? How do you verify as a consumer that you're not playing the same event more than once. There's some reasons why you would want to replay a same event more than once, but even that, that idea of data list notifications becomes pretty interesting in that instance where it's, have we seen this event before? Okay, if we have, we're not going to do anything with it, or let's go check and see what's changed each time versus some people I do know try to use webhooks as a pure integration framework. And there's some challenges there if you miss events, right? Because it's not polling. You're not, but being able to go reach into the system with your API key to go get that latest data can help with that. I think for us, we do use a lot of web hooks to tell us something changed, but we usually use that to go pull the service to see mm-hmm. all the changes and maybe all the ones that we don't know about. So it's more of instead of pulling every hour or every day, we'll pull when we get a message from the system, which is also a good way of thinking about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And th- there's the provider section, there's a the consumer section, best practices for both. Even the people that mostly consume, we found that internally they're still building systems that are generating webhooks, even if they don't go outside your firewall, outside your infrastructure. That's fine. Remember, originally we start talking about the value of webhooks is the fact that we all know HTTP and we all know JSON. Don't generate your own custom protocol for these things. Even if your only consumers are inside your company still follow best practices because all it takes from for that webhook to then be shared publicly is some senior exec at your company going, wow, we have partners, we have customers who would love that information too. And now suddenly your entirely internal tool set just got published to the world.
0: Yeah. I had a couple of questions if we could circle back to... The like the building and hosting of the site on GitHub. Mm-hmm. It, I really like this approach in building in public. Also, I noticed that it's using Markdown, which is pretty cool. That's fun to see in the wild. Um, but also, yeah, have you found this to be like a pretty successful way to engage in open source? I've, it's also it seems like a great lead gen for Engrac and just generally, how is it going? Would you recommend this to other companies that are trying to participate in open source?
1: We decided to to launch it on GitHub because it was quick, it was easy. We had already collected all the information behind it. So really the marginal effort was getting a reasonable design in front of it and then generating some graphics to show like what the different webhook flows were and things like that. So I think it's, I've been very happy with the results so far. Yeah, we have Google Analytics on it, but we don't have a ton of like marketing analysis tools or anything like that. But realistically, like seeing people use this, hearing how people have been informed by this process, I think is great we had, I think two, maybe three weeks ago, Zoom announced that they're doing a major update to their webhooks. And they announced the platform, they announced all the changes, and in their documentation itself, it said, we use webhooks.fyi to make these decisions. Whoa, that, that's Yeah, a- that was so cool. Like, our initial goal with webhooks.foi was to take the information we had and organize and make it available to others. Yeah. The aspirational goal was that we start nudging the industry towards better practices. It was amazing to have somebody like Zoom come forward and say, your work had inspired us to do this better. It was a mic drop kind of moment.
2: Yeah. There've been these webhook communities for a while. Like I've been in the webhooks Google group for a long time, but like people who are going to go consume or create their own webhook system, I don't know that they're going to join a Google group or go, f- I think like webhooks.com used to be a directory, but like that site doesn't exist anymore. There's a Reddit webhooks, r slash webhooks. Not a very lively place, not really where people are going. I think having the Powered by Ngrok and just like being a little bit of an organizer and giving some very good opinions and also like making it open so that people can contest some of those. Oh, you know, something new has happened that we now believe should be the new standard for security or a new option, right? People can do a pull request and contribute to it. It's very similar to like whenever someone decides to go write their own authentication from scratch. You want as many eyeballs on that as possible. And that's why so many people use these open source authentication tools because so many people have seen them. And I think you guys are giving some credibility to it, but then everyone's gonna benefit from it. Zoom's adding credibility to it. We're at Orbit, we're gonna take a look at our webhooks and see how we stack up against these, right? And figure out like, what are we missing? what are we doing right? And it's a good way to just close any of those windows that might we might have left open accidentally.
1: Yeah. And frankly, sometimes you don't know what questions to ask. Like when we first started digging into this, like I wasn't even thinking about forward compatibility of changing the hashing algorithm. I was thinking about changing keys because that's something we just have to do occasionally anyway. But changing the ha- hashing algorithm, I said, oh yeah, Alan Shreve, our CEO, he's, yeah, we need to think about this. And I was like, oh yeah, actually that makes a lot of sense. And despite being in Webhooks for 10, 12 years at this point, it wasn't something I'd really thought of. And so we're trying to let the next people know, hey, look, here are considerations consideration you have. Even if you don't choose to think about forward compatibility, that's fine. But at least you knew that it's something that you might want to consider.
0: Totally. Another thing that comes to mind with forward compatibility too, and like a lot of the comments that I'm making come back to adding stuff into SDKs. So like Mm -hmm. when we talk about data lists or, yeah, it's you're going to lean heavily on the SDK. When looking at HMAC verification, which is what we use at Stripe, there are helper methods in the Stripe SDKs in all of the official SDKs that will do all of the fancy crypto creating the HMAC. You Mm -hmm. just have to give it here's the signature and here was the request and then let the SDK figure it out and what's nice yes. about that is that again you're you can depend on the SDK for forward compatibility so as maybe as the as the payload is using different signing algorithms you can upgrade those inside of the SDKs and so then it's just a matter of oh let me bump my SDK version and maybe put in a new key or drop the the public key somewhere in order to handle the verification so that like I th- also, I have implemented lots of webhook endpoints that use HMAC and they don't have helpers in the SDKs. And every single time it's, oh, how does this work again? And like, it's so finicky because you have to get it perfect or it won't work at all. And
1: so it's great that you have the code on webhooks.fyi. That's one of the kind of horrifying things we found. Like that moment of how do I do this again? We found, I don't know, 10, 15% of the docs didn't actually have SDKs or code sample. It was like a bulleted list of get this field, And I'm like, wait a minute, you're trying to appeal to developers in general. You don't know their skill level. You don't know their understanding these topics. You're expecting them to do it right the first time. I'm like, come on, this is, you're making life miserable for them. And I always defer to use the SDK if it's available, but every company has to prioritize and they're going to not be able to tackle every language, every framework out there. And I, I don't criticize anyone for that but there's gonna be times where you're working in an environment that they do not have the tooling for. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out, okay, can I do this myself?
0: Right, Is that so it sounds like inside of ngrok, now you can use it in production to handle message verification. Is that yeah. is exposing SDKs from the ngrok side that handle that? Is that something that y'all have thought about at all? Providing those open source as, oh, hey, this is just like the standard HMAC thing you pass in. Slack or whatever, I don't know. And then it just will verify things for you.
1: Yeah. The way it works on our side is that you choose your webhook provider. So if you're on the dashboard, you choose Slack and you put in, I think it's the shared secret for Slack. And then we handle it in the cloud. We've considered how do we provide general tooling for that? That's really hard. Mm-hmm. We've tried to say, can we do a inject your own logic, like a Lambda style kind of thing for webhook verification. Scares the crap out of me executing <laughs> other people's code in our environment is yeah, yeah, yeah th- those are some interesting questions that I'm not sure willing or ready to answer at this point. Got it. But as long as you're in the flow, you can do a lot of things.
0: Totally. The fact that there were 49 different implementations across 50 providers also is so frustrating because the way that I like to implement a webhook endpoint is just I want like slash webhooks. And I want every third party that I integrate with for that application to all go to slash webhooks. And now you have to like fork on the source, like where did this come from? And That's now you big have big case three, statement. Exactly. Big case <laughs> statement. And some people think that webhooks are cool and asynchronous webhooks are cool. Like all this stuff. I'm like, hey, that is another huge, I think, selling point of letting ngrok just do it for you is that, yep. hey, if you figure out all of the verification piece and I don't have to worry about that, then my webhook endpoint is literally just take the payload, stick it in the database, and then kick off a background job to process this later and then respond with 200 and I'm like going to walk away. And There's, yeah.
1: There was a great article going around recently called the self-provisioning runtime. And it was the whole mindset of that is as you're building these stacks and these operating environments, if we can build tooling and support infrastructure so that the developer building their app only has to worry about their business logic. They get more efficient, they get more effective and they can scale, they can operationalize things that much easier. It's really, the, that's the mindset behind most of the DevOps philosophy mm-hmm. is how do we make sure that developers stay focused on building business logic? And mm-hmm. so we actually had the same concept on the Ingress side of things. So how do we just take the security stuff off? Just make it so that it works by default. And you don't have to do this because implementing OAuth, implementing webhooks, like all these things suck. Yeah, It's the exact same patterns over and over again, but it's not entirely the same pattern. It's really close to the same pattern. It's 49 out of 50 times it's different, but it's just different in little ways. And it's irritating. Absolutely. We found that
2: link. We'll put it in the show notes because I think that idea is, I think with the Stripe Listen framework too, like being able to listen to those webhooks. I see this. We'll probably talk to Alan about this when we have him on the show. But ngrok go looks really exciting too. Just being able to like have your app start listening for you rather than have like I I like running ngrok locally and just like seeing those things. But as a developer or even as someone who's focusing on developer experience, like that time to first hello world or time to that first light bulb going off, and it's all these steps that we have to do to be secure are only going to slow that down if you don't provide ways of self-provisioning runtime or helpers in your SDKs. And so it's a good thing to think of if you're developing developer tools or if you're in developer marketing or developer advocacy and you're trying to figure out, yeah, everyone seems to fall off at this point where we ask them to go do a bulleted list of 10 things. What can we take off their plate? What can we push to the edge there? And yeah, it's. I think the thing that I'm most mind blown by right now is just how many things I'll go back to Twilio right now. <laughs> and between Jeff and Alan and yourself, yeah, it was a, around that time was a, what a time to be on the internet and all the
1: things that we get to benefit from today. I, I think say 2009 through 2012, there was a lot of foundation laid for kind of an internet renaissance. And some of that has led to all the, these API companies. A lot of it's led to some of this machine learning stuff. Machine learning, like ChatGBT would be a lot harder to use and implement right now if we didn't have the APIs behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And the APIs rewind 12 years ago and people are just getting their hands and their heads around these things. So I think, yeah, it was a cool time to get started in the space. And I look forward to what's the cool thing to get started with now.
0: I was just checking to see if OpenAI had webhooks, but I'm like, would that use case even be? Instead of webhooks, they just have like really long requests. You make an API call and it takes... I'm not bagging on it, but yeah, like two seconds later, you'll get back your check completion. But earlier we talked about the Stripe listen command. So at Stripe, we built a custom CLI for integrating against Stripe, and it has a bunch of different features. One of them happens to be Stripe listen, which is a tunneling, a tunneling mechanism. So you can receive your Stripe webhooks without having to set anything up. So it will set up the webhook endpoint and also deliver it. And as part of that, we have a VS Code extension. So like from inside of VS Code, you can start the listener. And I found that there's also a ngrok for VS Code extension. And I assume this works very similar where you can just like fire up ngrok directly inside of your editor.
1: Yeah, just like that early thing of Allen wanting to set his phone down and keep his hands on keyboard. We Mm -hmm. have that exact same mindset for this. Bill Nash, another Twilio alum, built that VS Code extension years ago at this point. But it's all about how do we keep you in the environment that you're working in? How do we not interrupt your flow? You want to be effective? Let's make it so that you are. Just get out of your way. Totally. Love it.
2: Awesome. I think that's a great place to leave people wanting more. We're going to put a bunch of links. I found a really good... Article from 2007 from Jeff Lindsay talking about how webhooks are going to revolutionize the web. It's a good read. It gets into a little bit of the message handling and the small talk type message passing that, that we talked about here today. But where can people find more about you and all of your work on the Internet, Keith?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My day job is ingrok, so ingrok.com. That's the place for everything. If you need to reach me specifically, you can email me danger at Ingrock.com. I respond to that pretty quickly. If you want to find me online everywhere else, I'm Casey Software. That's C-A-S-E-Y Software. And definitely check out webhooks.fyi. It is the source. We really want to make it available to everyone and inform the internet, make it a little more secure.
0: Thanks a ton for all your hard work on that resource. I think it's a wealth of knowledge and information. And yeah, it's making the whole community better. So really appreciate that, Keith. Yeah. So as always, you can head over to buildandlearn.dev to check out the links to the resources that we've just mentioned and the show notes. That is all for this episode. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time.